Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Adel Amarsi Unplugged. I'm your host of the most, as always, Adel Amarsi. And today I'm actually quite, it's a pleasure to have this person on the show. We've not actually had much of a chance to speak, but going through the website and seeing exactly what I know about conversion optimization and what they do for a living, I know we're going to have a bit of a nerd down between us, but don't worry, we're going to bring it back up to the surface so everyone can enjoy as much as we do. Of course, I'm talking about the founder and president of thegood.com, or the good as the agency as it's called. My man himself, John McDonald. John, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Oh, dude, thanks for being here. Um, so, real quickly, just right off the bat, I want to actually let everyone know what you do specifically is conversion and website optimization, right? So, basically, essentially using what is the existing traffic that comes to your website and um, increasing the conversion rate of the back end. So like if you have a hundred people, if you're converting three people, you guys help them get to a higher number. Would you say that's exactly. correct? Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Converting more of an existing website traffic into buyers. So we don't do anything with driving traffic, right? It's it's there's a ton of folks out there who specialize in driving traffic through ads or SEO or content marketing. We focus on once somebody reaches the site, what happens at that point? Which is really where most people get forgotten. Right, because it's just yeah. another person sitting behind a monitor that you can't see, and exactly. so they tend to get treated differently. Oh, I agree entirely. I mean, my entire like I've spent the last eighteen years of my life and the last twelve professionally being a copywriter and understanding why people buy things. Like that is my actual that's that's my entire premise to life is why do you do what you do? I'm curious. So it kind of yeah. works out the exact same way. Now you've had some incredible clients, which we're gonna get into in a moment. But before we do that, guys, go check out thegood.com. And the reason I say this is because thegood.com has a very simple, I don't mean this in a terrible way. It's a very simple layout that actually works in your favor. And if you can actually see how this site is laid out for what they do as as an agency, I would definitely recommend it because it's so well structured that it gives you every piece of proof and evidence that you need to actually make a valuable decision whether or not you want to reach out. And it actually has like a level of professionalism. Now I'm assuming that the people in the picture at the top, are they people at your company or is that, I'm assuming they are. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they're actual team members here. And hearing that from you at all is, is amazing. I, I, knowing your background and, and the experience you've had in copywriting, uh, that, that warms my heart to hear you with those compliments about our site. So thank you. Oh, for sure. I mean, this is something that I'd look at. If I had an agency website, this is the thing I'd go to to rip off. I'm not going to lie. And I say that with love, by the way. Don't rip yeah, them please. off. Like, yeah, don't hey, rip them rip off. Like, off. <laughs> have a look hey, competition at it. breeds better for all of us. So exactly. uh, there's plenty to go around. So please rip it off. For sure. It'll push I mean, us to go even harder. Don't get me wrong. There is one word that you have on your website listed over and over again that I that, that drives me insane. But we'll get into that in a moment. And my audience, know if you've gone to the website, my audience will immediately pick out what that word is. But we'll get into that in a minute. But before uh, before we do all that, just a real quick shout out to our sponsors again. It's thegood.com. If you guys go check it out there, which is conversion, converting more visitors into buyers. So if you have good traffic to your website and you're not converting as much, I'd suggest go check them out. We're also sponsored by storysellingblueprint.com, which is my course as well. You guys can go there and get a free video. Um, and... PDF that basically shows you the three steps I take any client through to find out their story and how to create unlimited content from that. So we have all that ready for you guys uh, when the show goes live. Now, kind of the first thing I really want to jump on here because I want people to know exactly how much of a badass you are. Because I don't think my audience would know. If they do know, amazing. But if you don't know, you've worked with Adobe, 
Nike, Xerox, The Economist, and so many more. And my only question is, how the fuck did you get your foot into the door with those companies? Because they are so hard to get into at times. I asked. That's as simple <laughs> as that. I knock on their door when I was starting out. You know, look, I've been doing this for for over 10 years, at least the good, right? We can talk about my my background personally. Oh, for uh, sure. Before I started the good, I'd love to get into that. But, you know, at the good, we've been doing this for 10 years. And it certainly is not an overnight success. No. But it's the power of social proof as well. And what I mean by that is, you know, we... I'm, I live in Portland, Oregon, in the States, right? And in the backyard is Nike headquarters. It's yep. about 15 minutes from, from downtown Portland. And the first thing I did, I said, you know what? If I get a piece of Nike and I'm able to get in there and get that logo up on our site and use that as a case study, I bet I can go to other companies and say, hey, Nike trusted us. I bet you should trust us as well. And so for the probably first six months that we were in business, I did everything I could to work my network just to get in at Nike. And I made some contacts and did a few projects with them for not a lot of money, right? And right. basically just went to them and said, hey, I, give me a chance. That's all I'm asking is give us a chance. And we found a couple of really great connections that we just went over and above to make it right with them and do everything we could to, to prove our expertise and, and what we knew. And that worked out well. And then that led to one thing to another to where we had, you know, several big name clients. And I'll also say that, you know, after you get in the door with a couple of these, it's really nerve wracking to start. But after we worked with Nike and Xerox and a couple of these now working with Adobe or The Economist or Autodesk, any of these other, you know, big corporations, it, it feels like home. It's no longer nerve wracking. You know, we, we know we deserve to be in the room and that we know we can move the needle for them. And so it, it makes a big difference in terms of just having the, um, the confidence to walk into the room and, and feel like you, you have a seat at that table. Yeah. I mean, that is actually quite powerful as an idea as well. It becomes almost normalized for you, if that makes sense. Like it becomes, yeah, it, if, exactly. if you were to work with someone that is below, like if you get used to working at a certain level, very quickly you become accustomed to it. Like a case in point that I have as, as an example, because uh, this show is obviously airing in 2020, but we're recording it uh, in the back end of 2019. One of the things I actually really loved about my 2019 was um, I learned a new level of um, a, a new standard of the way that I work with my clients. Because before I used to work on a per project basis with my clients. I mean, it would pay well. I'd get to work with a couple of clients a year and I'd really enjoy it because I really gave my heart and soul into the work I was doing. Um, but the problem became that it was very much the kind of like chicken and the egg. Like I was trying to get one foot in, the other, in front of the other. Like, do I keep marketing my services while I'm trying to deliver on the other? And how do I keep both working? Because as a copywriter, as I've found, people expect you to be able to do something superhuman, which is turn around an amazing piece of copy that pulls better than anything else in like 60 days, right. which is doable. But then you got to have a rest period in between that. Or in some cases they want you to do it in one week. And it's like, that's slightly impossible. It's doable, but it's on the, it's on the higher end of you're asking for a lot. So you got to pay a lot. But one mm -hmm. of the things I found was when I take on a long-term client, like, okay, we're going to work together for one year or for six months. And you're going to pay me this amount over this much, this much time. I found my clients were far more um, 
they're far more easier to work with. And once we put a system in place, I could literally hire a team of copywriters I'd personally trained, bring them on board and get them to do everything. Where I just basically sat there and just, we basically were a marketing firm for hire. We were basically an assassin, a, a group of copywriters ready for hire. And that became very, very powerful. So now I can go back to the per project thing, but if I'm going to do it, honestly, I like to work with long-term clients more than anything else. Just it makes does, more sense. Yeah, I would wholeheartedly agree with that business model. Uh, if, if, you know, people talk about, you mentioned ripping off our website. If there was one thing I would suggest ripping off, it's that we have a, a darn near 100% recurring revenue model. And the way we've done that is by setting up a program. We call it our conversion growth program. Now, this is an ongoing monthly engagement. It's sold like a SaaS product, meaning mm -hmm. that there's different service levels that you can sign up for that come with different deliverables. They all have a set flat monthly fee. And we just auto charge their card as long as you're still on the program. And there's no long-term commitment. You can, you can you know, resign any month you want and, uh, and we won't charge you again. But what this does is it sets up the expectation that, hey, this isn't a one-time engagement. This is an ongoing optimization of your site. There's not one thing that we're going to do that's going to double your conversion rate overnight. It's going to be a compounding effect of several changes over several months. And, you know, our average client is with us, you know, almost 18 months. Wow. So if you look at it in that way, we're able to truly move the needle. And by the time we get a handful of months in, we're really showing a return on that investment. So these folks stick around. But if somebody came to us and said, hey, you have one month to totally overhaul our site and change everything. Most ad agencies or digital marketing agencies would take that challenge. And I tell them, no, that's not how this works. And that that's the honest response. Um, and so that it has turned into a recurring revenue program. And that model is, is very powerful for a business. Oh, without a doubt, because now what you're doing is actually spacing out your time and not stressing yourself to hell. Right. It's like one of the worst things you can actually do is how much stress you carry actually does directly result in how well you can perform the task that you've been hired to do. Well, and it's no longer about the billable hour, yeah. right? I mean, that's kind of what you were getting at earlier. It's like, hey, you know, you're asking for more. You, you're going to have to pay more. You know, it might only take me a weekend, but you're going to pay more than that person who asked me to do the same task in a month. Yeah. And, you know, it, there's a good, I keep seeing this come up in LinkedIn and a bunch of other places I follow that, you know, I, I don't bill by the hour because if I did, you know, I'd have to charge so astronomically high on an hourly rate because it's not about that time I'm spending on your project. It's the cumulative time I've spent over the past 10 years learning all about how to solve your problem in five minutes exactly and without that expertise i wouldn't be able to do that it's the same thing i use this doctor patient model all the time it's the same thing like going into a doctor you know are you going to go to the general practitioner or the nurse assistant who might be able to help you or are you going to go to that knee surgeon who you know has seen a hundred torn acls and is going to fix your knee properly yeah. Right. And and you don't want just anybody doing surgery. You want the expert to do the surgery. And it's a very, very similar model. I would agree with you entirely. And something I have actually found, and it's kind of funny because I don't usually talk about my rate on my podcast, but I will tell people this right now. I actually got to the point where I charged $3,500 for an hour of consultations. And they're like, how do you charge so much? I'm like, because my average client makes thirty five grand 
within 90 days of like me talking to them within like right. the first that within the first 30 days they've made that money back easy like easily made that money back two or three times over but they made like 10 times that money in like 90 days and that's if they don't do anything else but just follow my advice because i have like a very simple plan it's like how do i get you the most money out of what you come for obviously there's like requirements to join in something i really wanted to actually ask you about um because of how you've actually got in what did you do specifically to actually even open that door because say for instance i'm i'm in london so i'm in the uk so obviously there's a crap ton of businesses based here how would you if someone is in london not specifically me and let's just say their business was graphic design they're a graphic designer what advice would you give that graphic designer in order to actually go in to have that conversation with someone at a company and actually become their contracting client well, I think there's two things that are necessary. Uh, the first is you have to be somewhat credible to get in the door, right? right? And what I mean by that is you can do a couple of different things. I mentioned earlier social proof. Um, mm -hmm. So you could even have other people warm introduce you that are in your network. And that just means being forward enough to, to go on LinkedIn, find people who are connected to who you want to chat with and say, hey, you know what? I'm going to be honest here. I really want to connect with X. But that person, I'm not directly connected, but I see you are. If you would meet with me for a coffee or something or just hop on the phone, have a conversation, I can tell you what I'm looking to do. And then maybe if you're comfortable afterwards, you could make that warm introduction. And I, you would be surprised how many times people are, are open to helping you, right? It, it, humans are good in nature, but for the most part. And if you say, hey, I really need your help. I'm trying to do this. And you come at it from a from a, a kind and, and way that you want to be helpful back to them in some way, they're always going to respond. Um, you know, I'm always shocked. I, I very rarely get those types of requests. Instead, I get requests that want to sell me something outright. And it's like, you know, if you came to me and said, hey, John, I'm really trying to get to this other person that you know. And if you could help me do that, I, I, I would be down to help. Right. But instead, it's it's always just with the direct sell. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. There is another way of asking a very powerful question of even if you don't know who they know, they, they can help you. Like one of the questions I can definitely know that I could ask you would be, hey, John, because, um, again, you build up some sort of like personal response and correspondence before you do this. But it could be something like, hey, John, who do you know that could use that could benefit from my years of experience and I can help them in their business? Like. Who would you actually introduce introduce me to? And you naturally, as a good uh, as a human, because we are inherently good, would go. You know what? I either don't know someone right now, or I'm gonna keep a lookout. Or you know what? I actually know the exact same the person that you need. Let me make an introduction for you. That, that's exactly it. And yeah. there is gold in that. It works, but not enough people do it. And they, really it they just yeah. So I think that's that's the first place I would start. Yeah, that's the short sell. Now, my other question that I have for you, because I want to take it back to more of the good, because I'm very curious and like I did promise that we'd narrow down a little bit. What have you found? Like when you start looking through a website, what are some of the first things you look at that people can use as a conversion boost? Like you just see it and you go, that right there needs to change. Oh, man. Um, I'm writing an article right now that, that I'm super excited about because it's what are the gimmicky trends from this year, from 2019. Ooh, what are some of the gimmicky I, trends? Oh, 
I can't. I could list off a hundred. I'm going to piss some people off with this. Oh, one. go for it! Um, I love pissing yeah. people off. It's fun. <laughs> Yo, hey, I, I have found one of the things that you can do really easily to drum up new business is piss people off. Yep. Because if you play that middle, no one's going to be happy, right? You're not. You're not making people who are on either side of the spectrum happy. And so, if you just play that that mushy middle, you're you're never going to get any responses. Um, regardless, uh, there's a whole bunch of these right now. Um, how about this? So uh, we focus a lot on e-com sites, right? One of the big ones I hate right now is spin to win. Have you seen these? You go to a website and they pop up. Yeah. And uh, you got to basically and, spin around. And if you find the one, like if you land on the right thing, you win something that's pre-programmed. I think Neil Patel did it first a while ago. Yeah. Look, here's the thing. Nobody wants to give you their email address and spin to win. It's such a gimmick and it, it actually takes a pop up which is if I could eliminate two things from the internet, it would be email pop-ups and auto-rotating carousels on a homepage. And those two things right there are the biggest conversion killers on the internet, but everybody does them because everyone else does it. What and type so of they, carousels are we talking about? So say you go to a homepage and the first thing right below the navigation or the header is an image that is promoting something and then it auto, automatically rotates or fades into a new image on a timer. And oh, just God, I going. hate those. I right? say this now as I quickly go to my own website and go, have I done that to my own shit? Because I don't think <laughs> I have, but like, no, I haven't. I only have a, I have a carousel of testimonials at the bottom of my page. Well, that, that's, that's a different. little different, I think that's so. Different. Yeah, because this it's is... I'm, I'm not trying to get people to opt in. I'm getting people to just see shit. It's a right. Well, here's the thing. I'm a firm believer that if e-commerce websites or websites in general were coming from a sales angle originally instead of a marketing angle, the internet would be a completely different place today. Agreed. Right? But instead, we're always trying to yell at consumers on our websites. We're trying to push and push and push and say, hey, we're so great. Here's this new sale. You need this new product or whatever, right? Instead of sales, which is what is sales job? To answer questions and help somebody do their research and then help them buy as quickly and easily as possible. And those are the only two things people want to do on the internet. I mean, outside of Facebook and just wasting time, right? They're, they really want to, um, if they have a product that they're interested in, it's because they have a pain or a need. And they want to do research around that pain or need to understand if your product or the product they're researching can help solve that pain or need. And if it can, they want to buy that product or convert as quickly and easily as possible. You know, we were talking uh, before we started recording. I have a three-year-old at home, and, and I can tell you about a flight I was just looking to book. And I was, you know, started booking the flight. I was on Delta's website, which uh, you know they've done a decent job. And you know, he came up to me in the middle, and and he asked me to to come and help him with something. I don't know he was playing with trains, and the track kept coming apart, and he wanted me to help him fix it. And so by the time I went over, I was doing my research on flights, but by the time I went back and helped him. I had totally forgot that I was looking at flights. And and the next morning I opened up my laptop and and here is Delta again. But it, my my whole search had expired and like yeah, they logged me out and I had to start all over from scratch. And I was really frustrated about that. Right? I understand the availability changes and things of that sort, but they could have at least saved my search and said, "Hey, this timed out. You just need to click here to restart the search." You know? And and made that pretty easy. But think about this. This is life. This is your consumers on your website who are in the middle of trying to do their research and get pulled in 100 different directions. 
And so if you don't make that really quick and easy to do and make it quick and easy for them to pick back up and do that again at a later date, you're going to lose them. And it's just a bad experience. Without a doubt, because that's one of the things that's like, um, I've personally always noticed with certain websites is when I've gone back and they've actually saved my actual thing that I was writing because there was an old uh, forum I used to be on that you can private message people on. And I sent a private message to a friend of mine and halfway through, uh, I closed the tab by accident and it was a really long message that was like very, very much like, Hey, I need you to read all of this. And I was like, crap, it was so well written. I quickly hit the, uh, for people that don't know how to use this, if you want to reopen a tab, just press, uh, if you're on a Mac, it's command shift T. If it's on windows, it's control shift T. Um, and it reopens the last window that was open. I opened it and basically what this uh, website had done, it would basically, it had cached my last message up to a certain point right before that window was closed. So I could just continue my message and finish it. And that gave me like a really great experience. And I was actually with that website until they actually sold it and shut it down. And I was, and a, that's paying, a, that was, I was a paying member until that point. And that's exactly it. I mean, I think you need to hit the nail on the head. They're helping you, right? And you know, our mission here at The Good and my personal mission is to remove all of the bad online experiences until only the good ones remain. And that's where our, our, the company name came from. I find and that amazing. And, and, you know, it's it's amazing that here we are in 2019, 2020, and we still have horrible experiences online. I mean, how far have we come? We know what a good experience is, but instead we just keep getting all of these negative experiences. And I, I truly believe it's because we don't have empathy for the person on the other side of the website because we can't see them like we can in a retail store. And it's interesting, you know, we were talking about email pop-ups and carousels. I'm a firm believer that if you wouldn't do something in your retail location, you shouldn't do it on your website. Agreed. It's that plain and simple. So email pop-ups. If I walked into a retail store and as soon as I took two steps in, an associate came out with a clipboard, shoved it in my face and said, give me your email address, I'm going to punch him in the face and walk away. Right? Yeah. And so you're probably going to have that same reaction on a website. Like, why would you do that to consumers on a website? It makes no sense to me. It's so disruptive. It's so annoying. And then there's people who try to hide the close button or they do negative shaming where they say, no, I don't want to save 15% or I don't like saving money yep. or whatever. Like, I, such hate a that on ups- bad- I hate that on upsells. Isn't My it such part- a bad brand experience? Like, oh why the God. hell are people doing that? My personal, okay, so I'm going to give you, everyone listening, I'm going to give you the exact perfect upsell close if like when you're scrolling through and they don't want to buy and you're, it's your last Hail Mary. All I write is like, I put it in brackets, uh, in not brackets, in quotes. I'm like, no adult, I don't want to get this course. I just want what I bought. I'll, if I need it, I'll message you later. That's all I write. And that's a buying link. Because yeah. that's what they're thinking. They're like, no, I just want to get my goddamn product. If I think about this, I'll come back later. And obviously, once they've bought a product from like my clients, I have like a follow-up sequence to get them into the upsell if they didn't buy the upsell. And that's mm-hmm. like, hey, if you, the first email subject line is like, thanks for getting your thing. And then for the upsell emails are pretty much, they start with, hey, I know you were totally busy at that point. Maybe you didn't get a chance to watch it all um, or didn't get to read the page or whatever it was. Here's just a few highlights. If you feel like getting it and you feel like it's a good fit, click this link and actually get it the one-time offer that we have it. Right. Just and that 
that that's a way better way of like running it than I, I love that because you're having respect for them. Yeah. Right? And that's really all it comes down to. You have empathy. If you were in that position, what would you want? Exactly. And and that's really it. So I I mean that's that's really that's really good to hear that that's your approach. Oh yeah, for sure. Like the way I've always done it is um it's kind of like people and my audience knows this. I'm not a huge fan of um what are their names? The people that sell with pain. I'm not a huge fan of those guys. I like to I have a whole thing where it's basically yes, people try and avoid pain, but they actually run towards pleasure. And the way that I have that in my mind is to avoid pain is like trying to dodge a knife or trying mm-hmm. to dodge like someone stabbing you. Whereas running towards pleasure is the most greatest things on the other side and you're full pelting towards it. There are two different energies you're coming from. Because yeah. one is away and the other one's attract. So I'm like, why would you... Fair enough. Highlight a little bit of the pain. Kind of go, by the way, you're hungry and there's a buffet over there. That's all you can eat. It's got all your favorite food. The pain, you're hungry. Let them know they're hungry. The pleasure, tell them what's on the buffet that actually is right for them. That's a great point. I, and I think... That would help convert really well too. Coming back to conversions, I mean, I can't imagine why that wouldn't. Dude, it does. I'll give you. I'll say something right now. Um, My average conversion rate on a opt-in page is, um, unlike a standalone landing page for warm or for cold traffic, is thirty percent on a bad day. For cold, for like warm traffic, it's gone as high as ninety-one percent on opt-in that's amazing and the whole reason is because the way i build it and have always built those is like they're above the fold but what they are is they're pleasure driven the whole reason they're there is because i'm like hey i'm going to give you this thing that you want by giving me give me your name and email address i'll send it to you the re i'd give it to you for free but like i don't want everyone to have access to this i just want you to have access to it obviously those aren't the words i'm saying but they're alluded to right right so it's it's very powerful so my curiosity is, um, actually, my question is, do you want to know what that one word on your website is that is driving me nuts? Of course. It's the word learn. Mm. You have the word learn more uh, a lot on your website. Just changing that word over to discover more will actually change your conversions quite quickly. Because that's the first word I look for in any sales letter that gets sent to me to review. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason is because I've tested this to so many degrees that I think my brain is actually going to explode at times. Um, we've always seen that anytime the word learn is used, uh, it drops the conversion rate slightly, but more importantly, and I'm sure this is just something I test out for yourself again, by all means, but from my own tests I've seen, anytime we change the word discover, especially when we're selling to entrepreneurial based people, people that are like self-starters. Mm-hmm. Learn is a deterrent. Discovery is more of a call to action. Because learn... why do you think that is? Oh, yeah. I actually, I actually know why that is. Um, it's insane. Because like I, again, this is a word I obsessed over for three years. Because I was like, why is this word winning everything else? What's going on here? Because I would change that one word, and that's the only thing I change in a sales letter. And we'd see like sales quadruple at times, just simply with this one change. Um, and it's basically because when you're selling to an entrepreneurial market, I'll ask you this, um, maybe it might not be the case, but I'll ask, how was your school experience? Like when you're going through like junior high, high school, how was that? Was, was it something you'd love to repeat again or something you're like, I'm glad I'm done with that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I'm, I, I consider myself a life, 
a lifelong lear- learner, but more because I'm curious, right? Yes. Not not because I, I bury my face in books all the time. And also um, because you're told to bury your face in books all the time. Right. I mean, look, uh, you know, there's so much out there right now about how schools don't really help uh, a certain type of personality, right? Mm-hmm. And it's too rigid. And, uh, you know, I for that reason, I, I have my son in Montessori school. Nice. Because it's all, I don't know if, it, you know, I'll explain a little bit about that just in oh. case people don't know what it is, but... Uh, Montessori school is it actually came from Italy um, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, and it's all about letting children discover and choose what they want to do. Now, you put some confines on that; they can choose between three or four different things to learn about that day, and they have the option to go and to explore what they're interested in in that moment. So it gives them a little more freedom. But it, what it really does is it teaches them to make some choices that empower themselves. And beyond that, it, it teaches them to go explore what they're really happy doing. Now, I'm a firm believer that if, if we all put the effort in that we put into solving the things that we're not good at and instead put that into empowering the things we are good at, we would all have our superpower, right? Yeah. But so many people say, oh, I'm really bad at basketball, so I'm going to go play basketball every day. Instead of saying, I'm really good at football, so I'm just going to go and play football yeah. and put all my effort there, right? And, and it's this emphasis on being a well-rounded person, which I think is complete bullshit. Like, we're not all well-rounded. We all have our superpowers. You know, I'm six foot seven. I'm going to be good at basketball because of my height. I should probably put some effort to that, and, and I really enjoy it. But if you get me out on the soccer pitch or, you know, anything of that sort, I'm... I'm horrible. I have a size 16 foot. Like I'm not, you know, I'm going to trip everybody on the field, including myself. So it's just, you know, if I put all my effort into soccer, I'm never going to be that good at it. It just is what it is. I might get incrementally better, right? But my superpower and my natural talent and my body are like, go play basketball, right? And so why would I run from that? I, I enjoy doing it. And so I, you know, let's focus on that. Um, it's the same thing in business or in education. You know, if you're not naturally inclined at math, okay, like know some basic math so you can get through life. But why would you try to major in math in college? Yeah, it really makes I've never no understood sense. That. I've never understood that. It's literally a case of like focus on your like. I've always believed that you should focus on your strengths. Yeah, fair enough. Water your weaknesses a little bit so they don't pull you back. But when you get to a certain level, higher for your weaknesses. Everybody always focuses on wanting to get better at what they're not good at. Yeah. And, and I just think it's not time well spent. It, at some point, when you, when you are in your prime of your entrepreneurial career, in your mid-20s, even, you know, even as low as your early 20s, you're already set in what you're going to be pretty good at. And, and I hope that's not busting anybody's bubble here. But the reality is, is like you can get incrementally better at a lot of things. And education, educating yourself is not done. You have a lot to learn in life, right? Yep. But if there's something you're really passionate about at that age, you should run with that. And you're probably passionate about it because you found out you're actually pretty good at it, too. And so why would you focus on trying to just you know become well-rounded and muddy down everything else? Yeah. Agreed. I, I could not agree more with that because it's one of the things that like I, for me, it's been a lifelong study of like understanding sales and understanding people because that's the environment I grew up, grew up in. Um, 
I double down on that. Yeah, have I got... Uh, this is something I spoke to a friend about uh, fairly recently, like a week ago. Because my birthday was... Uh, we're recording this, obviously, my, my audience know this, but we're recording this on October 10th, and my birthday is on September 30th. Mm, so happy I, birthday. Thank you. I just... Uh, I crossed the line into the 30s, so I'm now officially 30 years old. Um, it was crazy because, like, right up until that point, like, a friend of mine was saying, why do you write copy? Why is it something you love to do? I know it stresses you out, but why do you do it at times? Sometimes it stresses me out when I, I can't get the idea out of my head onto paper, as it does with everyone, really. Um, and I said to them, that is the one constant in my life that I don't think I'll ever be able to quit. Even if I say, I'm going to stop doing this tomorrow, I will probably still use those skills in other areas of my life. Because for me, I love playing, I love doing jujitsu. Jujitsu is one of my favorite things in the world to do. Like Brazilian jujitsu is so much fun for me. That's awesome. But it's one of those things that I came to a very strong realization. Will I be a world champion in this? Mm -hmm. Possibly. I love combat sports. I've been in combat sports since I was 12 as well. But I like copywriting more. I like being creative. So anything that's creative, my brain is going to go more towards it. And the reason I love Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is because there's an endless combination of how human movements can be done. It's like oh. playing chess. That's a whole nother level of ideas. So, you uh, can we pause here? I want to talk about that. I want to I want to push that hyperlink a little bit on Brazilian uh, Jiu-Jitsu. I like uh, guys. I really uh, both John and I had a little bit of a fun conversation off uh, off air for just a moment about jujitsu and um you guys don't get to listen in on it just yet maybe we'll release it another time who knows if we're feeling gracious i'm kidding it's more or less just something that i, that I want <laughs> to relate back to how um whenever you actually pursue a passion of what you love what you're good at that's what you're taught, taught in brazilian jiu-jitsu is you can be a great all-rounder but the one place they always tell you like right at the get-go at least with the way i've always been trained is you're either a very dominant top player or you're a very dominant guard player. Like, that is the essential. Like, you have one of the two. Obviously, as you go over time, you'll learn all aspects of the game and you'll be able to adapt and play as much as you want. But the reality is you know what you are and what you're good at. And the same thing could happen in basketball. Like, mm -hmm. um, I'm assuming, John, you were a small forward or were yep, you a power exactly. forward? Yeah, both. Yeah, okay. three and four spot. If yeah, three and four. Play basketball, three, know what that means. Yeah, three and four spot is basically you, so small forward, power forward. So you got these positions. That's kind of like, yeah, you can play point guard. You can be the point guard if you really wanted to, but why would you? Like, why would yeah. that be a position that would be right for you if it doesn't suit your body type? Not only that, but I think that so many people focus on even being well-rounded in the sport. Look, you can get into the NBA by having one really good skill. Steph Curry, you three can, pointers. <laughs> Exactly. Right. Who like think about who, you know, in the NBA, Julius serving. What was his big thing? Slam dunk. Hookshot. Yeah. Slam dunks and hook shots. That's all he did. Right. And so you think about these folks, there's guys making millions of dollars and playing in the NBA for years and they have one job. Dennis Rodman. And Dennis Rodman rebounding. That was rebounding and defense. The dude was just an yeah. athlete. He couldn't shoot for shit. Right. No, he, he wasn't, you know, he couldn't make a free throw. He couldn't make a layup like that. It wasn't his job was not to score. He had Michael Jordan to score. Yeah. Right. And so you think about this in every single person on that Bulls team who won all of those championships together had one job and they all just had to do their one job. And it's the same thing. I mean, in any sport, you can go play in college and get a college scholarship. This is kind of a dirty secret. I played basketball in college, but you just have to have one move. 
Yeah. And if you're really good at that one move, you will fit onto a team somewhere and a coach will want you and they will give you a scholarship. Oh, I can actually totally imagine that. I can actually legit imagine that, especially if you're a bit of a freak athlete. Like if you're, let's say you're six foot tall and you can dunk like you're six, six, mm-hmm. you will happily be like, you're a point guard that can dunk. Go, go do it. I mean, if you look at every great player, they actually became known for one thing. Yep. Like if I say, actually, I'm going to, te- I'm going to test this right now. So I'm going to throw like three names at you. I want to see what comes to your mind first. I want to see if we've got the same thing. I'm not going to do Steph Curry. I'm not going to do um, <laughs> Dr. J or Scottie Pippen because we all know who, or Jordan because those are all easy. But they are quite diverse players as well. Like, even though um, Steph Curry does have an amazing handle, he's really good at being a point guard and opening shots up. He's known for his three point shots. Yeah. I will ask, what do you? What comes first to mind, uh, as in like their particular talent or skill or a personality trait they have? For someone like LeBron James. Determination. He'll just run you over. Oh, yeah. Without a doubt. The dude is like, he is grit embodied. Mm-hmm. Like, he doesn't know how to quit. So, that's uh, agreed. Uh, all right. I'll let you do one and I'll do the third one. So, who have you got for me? <laughs> uh, let's see here. Um, I would say Allen Iverson. Oh, God damn it. I hate you. That was like my last. That was one I was going to give you. Uh, for him, tenacity and toughness. Yep. That yep. dude. Put points on the board, right? And cardio just, machine. Just keep going. The guy never got, like, I remember the time I saw him back in, like, 2000 or something where he played a full 48-minute game by himself and didn't take a minute on the bench. Man, it's, it's, in, that, in the NBA, doing that all year, that will, that will run your body down quick. Oh. So that takes a lot of effort. Oh, for sure. Uh, and last but not least, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Ooh, I would say uh, scoring. That was what he, you know, 100 points, right? Didn't he, he's, he's the one who scored 100 points in a game. I think that was Wilt Chamberlain. That was Wilt Chamberlain, yes. Yeah. I'd yeah. say Skyhook is what came for me. Skyhook, yep. Yeah, Skyhook finesse was, player for sure. Yeah, that's all I saw was like he popularized that Skyhook move, and that was it. So that's the kind of thing. You can do the same for your conversion. Like you can do the same for your businesses. You, if you get known for one thing in your industry and in your business, that will like rapidly soar your conversion rates. So, like, well, there's the power of focus, right? Yeah. And you think about it, it. The good, what I've done is I, I've said, you know what? We're not going to do all these other things. There's a power in saying no. Yeah. And so people ask us to do all these additional things once we know we've actually done really well for them in helping them increase their conversions. They come back to us and they say, hey, can you also help us drive traffic? Can you run our ads or, you know, can you completely redesign our site or can you build our site for us? And these are all things that I, I, I continually have to say no. Now, I'm leaving money on the table, but I also know where we provide a lot of value and where we're experts based on our experience. And that's what I love doing. And so there is a lot of value in just being a an expertise uh, player in a very specific niche. Because once somebody has a pain point around that specific problem, they are going to find you and they're already going to be sold. Yeah, I agree. I could not agree more. Now, I got a question for you. How do you as an individual that's starting out in business or has a business that's kind of like... You're doing less than, like, you're under the six-figure mark. How do you niche down and figure out exactly what your uh, central focus point is? Like, how would you tell someone that? Like, what is the actual thing that you tell them? 
Well, I, here's how I did it. I'd be happy to share my experience on oh, that. Oh, for sure, please. So when we started The Good, uh, I have a computer science background and a computer science degree and a development background. And we originally started uh, because there wasn't a such term 10 plus years ago called conversion rate optimization. It just didn't exist at the time. Mm-hmm. And so what we would do is we would help people to overhaul their e-commerce websites. And when we did that, we would put an emphasis on the user experience and put a lot more effort into that than any other part of the project. And that was really where we focused. And what I always did was I would force everybody who worked with us, all of our clients, to do three months of optimization of the site after it launched. It was just, you're gonna if you want to work with us, we'll happily build you a site, but you have to agree to allow us to do optimization for three months. Now, that was done for two reasons. One, I wanted to set the expectation that no site launch is ever perfect, right? But in all of our competitors, we're doing what I call launch and leave. So what they were doing was they would help a brand launch a website, and then they say, okay, we're live, see you later. And then the client was left with a bunch of bugs or things that weren't a great experience for the consumer or whatever, right? And I wanted to let them know, hey, we're going to take care of these things, but you also need to know when we launch this site, it's not going to be perfect. So let's just have that conversation now, right? And I was open and honest about it. So I said, you need to agree that we're going to work on this for three months after together and we're going to continually optimize it based on consumer feedback. The second part of that was that we really wanted to make sure consumers had a good experience and that we eliminated those bad ones. Again, going back to our mission statement of eliminating all the bad online experiences until only the good ones remain. So what I then found was that um, you know development was kind of a commodity, right? Pretty quickly that uh, you know there's a developer on every corner who can help build a site for cheaper or will do it cheaper than what what I was willing to do it for, and it was really hard to become an expertise status in that. I was speaking at conferences, writing books, doing all these other things, and that was helpful and generated a lot generated a lot of new business. But what it didn't do was really increase our our, our profit margins that much, right? And so what I did is I went on a tour around the country and I interviewed all of our clients and I just said, hey, I'm going to be in your city next week. Can you spare an hour with me? I'm going to show up at your office. Can you tell me when I can be there? And I just have a couple of questions for you. And I just said, start off the conversation. Hey, why did you choose to work with the good? What was the one thing that you decided, you know, that changed your mind and, and you chose us over others? And I kept hearing a theme. And that theme was, it was the three-month optimization you made us do after that differentiated you and was what I was really interested in. And I could tell you were passionate about. And so I said, okay, that's why people want to work with us. We should continue that. Let's only do that. Why are we doing this development stuff? But I don't really, you know, I have a computer science degree. I nerd out about it. But the reality is I'm really excited about and happen to be very good at Going back to our prior conversation, these things that, that I really wanted to do prior. And, and it was all the optimization. And so what I was able to do was um, transition into only doing optimization and really focusing on what I was passionate about, what I was good at, and being able to become an expert in that area. And that was life-changing. It was business, it was such a change for the business and very much in the positive. And now it's been almost 10 years of us doing exactly that. 
and it has completely uh, overhauled uh, you know the conversion optimization industry to some degree. Yeah, I would agree. I mean, there's it's kind of funny because like out of all the conversion optimization um, experts I know, I can only think of two guys that I get on with in that same sense. One of them is you because you know getting to know the courses, I can see that we have a lot in common and a lot aligned. Uh, but the other is my friend Chris, uh, Christian. What was it? Oh my god, I forgot his name. I don't know by surname. Mister Christensen. Oh, he's gonna kick my ass because I've actually had him on the show as well. That's the worst part. <laughs> this is how old folks I get. I always forget stuff, and then I was like, ah, oh, goddamn it. Uh, hold on, I'll find him. Justin Christensen. How did I forget that guy? Oh, uh, okay, yeah. yeah. Justin's a good I dude. Know. Yeah. I mean, I have yet to have a conversation with him directly. But I will tell you that uh, every time I've heard him on a podcast or anything, uh, uh, read his content, it's always I've always been impressed. Yeah, I mean, likewise, because you guys basically know your shit, and that's basically one of the cool things about knowing your shit is that everyone kind of perpetua- uh, perpetuates the idea that you guys do know it, and of course, you guys show up and do it. So, one of the things I really wanted to actually ask you um, that's quite powerful for this show is when you were going through and building your business. Obviously, there were times where you did not feel like you could do it. There was a crisis of confidence. You felt like life literally laid you out. It hit you with a spinning hook kick right to the face. And you went down like, what was it? Uh, like, oh my God, who did Edson Barbos and knock out? Mm. You know who I'm on about, don't you? Yeah, I'm not as into UFC these days, but back when uh, we were talking earlier about jiu-jitsu and in the early UFC days, um, yeah, that's... Terry Atom, that's it. Okay. Terry Atom. Basically, hit him with it. was the first time a wheel kick was actually landed and went to a knockout. It was brilliant. Definitely recommend it because, as someone did Taekwondo, you might actually really enjoy it. But in that same sense, when life knocks you down on your butt and just completely flatlines you for a moment, how did you get yourself back out of that? How did you build your confidence back up? Great question. Well, you know what happened? Um, and and I'll kind of leave some of the sensitive information out of it, but um, the the story really I'm I'm kind of go back to is we had a client that um, we built a, a huge project for, and um, it was it was worth about um, half a million dollars, and they came to us and we were about halfway through, and they said you know what we're going to do this internally thanks for your time and effort here but um, and they just cut you know the rest of the budget, and you know it. I didn't feel like it was anything that we did poorly. It was more that they just made an internal decision and decided that they wanted to own it in-house. And the problem with that was that I had hired up team to, to get that job done. And I had made a bunch of promises. And I had expected that I was going to have that, you know, almost half a million dollars in, in revenue. And that's a lot of money in reality. And so, um, you know, I really, I walked out of that meeting, like feeling like it was a gut punch because it wasn't even anything I could do to change the situation. Right. And it wasn't like we royally effed something up and they were saying, you know, well, you know, you, you just screwed this up so badly that we can't, you know, um, you know, at least then I could have owned it and said, you know, that's on me. But this really just gut punch because it was not something I could change and it wasn't anything that we did. And so it kind of left me like in this weird middle spot. And I remember it was really hard. I had to have some really tough conversations. Um, I went back and and gathered the entire team and said, look, you know, um, at the time we had about 20 
25 on staff. The vast majority were developers and a lot of them were working on this project. And I said, you know, guys, um, we just lost half a million dollars in revenue overnight, just like that. And here's what I can promise you. Um, I can't promise you you all have a job uh, moving forward. But what I can promise you is that uh, we have a we have a good runway of a few months of cash, and I want to support you in finding another another job. I will do everything I can to help you with that. And what I can do is, uh, you know, tell you keep working on what we can work on. And if you want to go take an interview in the middle of the day, if there's anything I can do to help you out with that, I get it. If you want to leave right now, I get that too. Um, and I can tell you this: that all of you have left something positive behind in the business. You've all impacted our lives greatly. And however I can help you, letter of recommendation, introductions, whatever it might be, I, I will do. And um, and I think that was a huge turning point for me because what I found was, again, humans are inherently good people, right? They want to be. Everyone on the team rallied and everybody was uh, very supportive of it. I didn't have one person who who got pissed and yelled at me. Maybe they wanted to, but not one person did it to me. Instead, they all said, you know what? We get it. We're in this together. Um, you know, I'm going to start looking for a job. And if you can help me, that's great. And uh, it sucks that we're here. And it is what it is. But let's let's try to move forward. And there, uh, the vast majority of those folks I still connect with today. And in fact, uh, some of them are, are working back on the team again now. So awesome. it's one of those things that just kind of comes full circle. You took the words right out of my mouth. Quite literally, I was literally about to say, so things came full circle. Mm-hmm. Damn it. Yeah. You're already my brain. <laughs> <laughs> so my other question, one of my favorite questions on the show is always to ask people what books they're reading. So I'm going to quantify this a little bit for you. So I'm going to give you eight books, but we're going to split it up. So we're going to do five books that are nonfiction that you'd recommend anyone read. And then I want you to give three books that are either fictional books or three movies that everyone should actually watch. What would oh, they be? Three questions. Okay, let's talk about books. What, what am I reading right now? Um, I'm reading a book. It's called How Clients Buy. Um, great book about selling business to business. So if you're running an agency and you want to get out of the hourly kind of and you want to understand why people choose who they work with and, and what that looks like, um, it's great. There's some amazing ideas in there. Um, and um, I'm also in the middle of reading a book called The Messy Middle. I don't know if you've heard that. Um, I have not, no. By Scott Belsky. Um, it's great because, look, everybody talks about and has written books about starting up and everybody talks about exiting, right? And in those two big points, nobody focuses on all the shit that happens in the middle. Yeah. The years. You know, everyone's like overnight success and no, it was 20 years to, for them to get to that point. And nobody talks about, you know, they, if they're writing a, a huge, you know, biography or whatever, they talk about, oh, you know, I was 10 years old, blah, blah, blah. And then I started this and that. And then they kind of skip over a bunch of bullshit that happens in the middle. And that's yep. the stuff that really makes the person. That's the stuff that, that is really difficult. And uh, this book really focuses on um scott's journey going through three or four different companies and what the points were in the middle is really what he talks about um that that really made uh the entrepreneur journey that much better that's awesome i love that keep going 
Um, I'm actually ordering this book as well right now. Yeah, great. Uh, let's see. The um, third one I'm reading right now is I actually listen to all of these on, on Audible. So I have several I just switch between. Um, the third one that's in rotation right now is a book called Hooked. Um, Ooh, it's all about by, how to uh, new AL. Yes, yeah, so all about how to build those habit forming, um, you know, apps and and projects. And I love it because it's more of my nerding out on conversion optimization. Yep. I, have right? you read his other book? I have not. What's his other book? Uh, I will bring that up, but keep going, and I'll actually find okay. it. Yeah. So. Um, I'm really, I've really enjoyed, I'm almost done with this one. Uh, this came recommended by one of our partners, uh, that we, that we do a lot of work with. Um, it was sitting in their conference room and I was like, oh, that looks really cool. And I said, that could be dangerous too, right? You think about how to use the, the black hat way of keeping people onto your app or into your whatever. And, um, and instead I was like, you know, how do I use this for conversion optimization, but in a white hat way? Yeah. Right. If you know these principles, then you also know how to not abuse them. Exactly. And uh, I feel like it's really interesting. One thing that the question that came out of that 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 really kind of stuck with me was, um, and it's a psychological principle, and I can't remember who who is attributed to in the book, but um, that if you know what the product team knows on that product. And you know they're trying to get you to do something. Would you still take that action if you knew what they knew? Now think about that for a minute. So what I mean by that is would, if an app is trying to force you into liking something or their whole user journey is all going down something that gets you hooked into the app and the product team built that, that engagement knowing that it gets you in there, would you still take that action or would you try to avoid it? And it's an interesting principle, and that's really the definition for between black hat and white hat for me. If if our team uh, is uh, when we do conversion optimization here for our clients, if they're trying to push something, um, and they're doing it because there's a psychological principle behind it that will get somebody to take an action, are we doing that to be helpful for the consumer and eliminate a bad experience, or are we doing it just to get them to convert and get them hooked into the site? And so it's an interesting kind of nuance to it, but I found that that was really valuable, and that's really the main point I took away from that book. That's awesome. The other book is Indistractable by Neil Ayal. Okay. It's all about uh, how to choose what you pay attention to and how to change the focus of your life. Oh, that's great. I'm going to have to check that one out next. Yeah. Oh, I would def definitely I've recommended this book so many times on the show, but I'll recommend it one more time. Uh, what's it called? Um, Oh my God, what's his name? Robert Greene, The Laws of Human Nature. Mm. That book is 28 and a half hours long on Audible. I recommend you read, you get it. It is, for someone that loves conversion optimization and understanding people, greatest book you could pick up on this. Awesome. Who Who's that by again? I'm going to write this down. <laughs> Robert Greene, the guy that wrote 48 Laws of Power. It's called The Laws ah, yeah. of Human Nature. Yeah. Okay, great. It's a great book, great book. All right, so I think we're up to three or four. Uh, let's see. That was three books. Three, three and books. then you wanted, you wanted some uh, movies, I think? or You've got two more like, nonfiction books and then some movies okay. that you can throw in. Two more nonfiction books. Um, this kind of goes in with what we one of the most impactful books I've read over the last um, year or so. Uh, and I think this actually came out a couple of years ago. 
but it's called The Hard Thing About Hard Things. Ben Horvath. Yep, I've not read that yet. Jason Horvath. It's it's a great one. Um, highly recommend it. Now, it's, you know, again, it kind of goes into all that stuff that's in the middle a little bit that people don't normally talk about. That's where it gets really hard. And uh, it's really interesting to hear some of the, the stories behind uh, some of the big names you know now and the big companies you know now. Um, really, really great. Really um, just eye-opening. Um, and then one that's really popular right now that I, uh, I have up next to read, um, and I, uh, I dove in for about an hour on a flight, and I haven't gotten to the rest of it, but I'm already hooked. It's, uh, it's The Trillion Dollar Coach by Bill Campbell. Ooh, good uh, book. It's like the new new hot book everybody should read, and that's why I, I picked it up. Um, and I'm a firm believer in having uh, an outside third party to kind of give you that fresh perspective and and shake you up a little bit, right? You need somebody who's going to tell you no more than tell you yes. I'm a firm believer of that. Um, and, and somebody who can just say, you know what, like you're thinking about this completely differently and everybody needs that coach. Everybody. And it's okay to have multiple coaches. It's great to have somebody who's helping you in, in life and a life coach and a business coach. And, you know, um, I'm a firm believer as well that um, the greatest competitive field outside of sport is business. Yeah. And I'd even put them on the same plane. Because I'd say it's running, greater in business because it's longer. The stakes are greater for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, some people may argue with that because, you know, you can make <laughs> hundreds of millions if you're, you know, in a LeBron James or whatever. Right. But, uh, the reality is, is that it's super competitive. You have to have just as much strategy and you have to have just as much endurance and stamina and you have to practice just as much and you will fail just as much, just as much as you will only shoot 50%. You know, the greatest players in the NBA shoot 50%. And, you know, Steph Curry, we talked about threes. He still shoots less than 50%, and we consider him one of the best. Well, he is, he is the best. He's not even one of. He is the number one. I mean, yeah. the rec- as in we're going, if we're going by record books, he's already broke nearly every damn record there is. Yeah, and I would be shocked if he shot over 40%. He does shoot over 40% from the field. Yeah, yeah. I think he shoots 41% on average. Okay. Okay, yeah, but so, even that's rare. Like that's a rarity. Someone the the next person down from his Clay Thompson, and mm-hmm. Clay hits like thirty five percent from the field. There you go, and and so you know the reality is is they're they're missing more than they're making, and how many fails are they having per game, right? It's the same thing in business. You're going to fail more than you're going to succeed, but you just got to keep going. You have to keep playing, and um, a coach. You know why you wouldn't have a coach. When every athlete has multiple coaches, uh, it really blows my mind. So I'm a, I'm a firm believer in that. And I'm also a firm believer in you know um, running a business a lot like a sports team in that regard. You're going to have players who are experts at certain things. And it's, uh, it's, my job as the is is CEO of the company to form the right team of players who cohesively get together and win championships like the, like the Jordan era Bulls, right? Yep. Agreed. So you got three movies, my friend. Three movies. Um, that's a tough one. You know why? I don't watch a lot of TV. Okay. Do you, do you read any fiction? Um, no. Damn. Okay. So we can just scrap <laughs> this then. That's fine. Let's scrap this yeah. question entirely. 
I will say uh, there's a couple of fun movies that I always find entertaining. Uh, Wolf of Wall Street is something that's one of my favorite movies, mainly for the excess in it. And I also yep. think Leonardo DiCaprio does such a damn good job representing. He really does. Jordan. Um, yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I think it's a great business story. Like you know, even though it's not always the uh, most moral uh, story, I do find it interesting that somebody in America can you know in in most a lot of countries these days can really come from nothing if they're willing to just put themselves out there and bust their butt they can they can really really do well uh, now of course he cheated his way a lot of the time so that's a whole nother story but it was really interesting story to me and uh and I think you know it's just fun to watch as well agreed without a doubt and I loved his portrayal of it all I mean, a lot of it was cut out from what it was, but it's still a damn good movie. You know, what's funny is I saw something on Instagram stories. I forget who it was that um, posted they were in Manhattan driving and uh, in the car next to them was was the real Jordan Belfort in a Lamborghini. And I was like, here we are. How many years later after after that? And he's back to driving a Lamborghini around Manhattan. Like, what's he up to these days? (laughs) Like, it was pretty funny. He's, yeah, he's, right. He's a sales coach. He's got his own book. I remember he had a course that he released with, like, he used, he had Frank Kern and a few other guys back in 2012, 2013, help him launch a course. Wow. Which yeah. was uh, incredible in its own right. But yeah, I, I mean, doing well enough. For sure. Well, if you have a good skill like that, it will always stay intact. But yeah, dude, thank you so much for actually uh, coming onto the show today and actually sharing so much incredible value. Great. Yeah, well, I'm glad you found that much value in it, and I uh, really enjoyed our conversation. And, For sure, uh, I'd love to have you back on the show. By the way, just like we're just, just we're tipping point right now, I'd love to have you back on the show. Anytime. I mean, we still need to pick that conversation back up. Oh, about we're, still, we're, we're, still, we're still picking that conversation up. It'll be it'll be after the show. Sorry, guys. Just a little little guy, jujitsu talk as you do. <laughs> but um, guys, go check out thegood.com. If you're a great fit for that business, please go ahead and check them out. Um, they're absolutely amazing in what they do. And I can tell you right now from someone that's looking at their copy and how they actually put it together, there's a lot of thought process that goes on to how they actually do everything. And that is incredible. As you've just heard how John's philosophy is to erase as much bad out there and just keep as much of the good out there. And he's fighting the good fight. So I definitely support him as much as I can. Um, and as always, guys, if you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show, I'd appreciate it. Share it as well with your audience uh, if you find value in it. And I'll see you guys in next week's episode. Oh, well, on next week's episode. Thank you for being here, John. I appreciate you uh, taking the time. Thanks again. Take care, guys. See you next week.